Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi. Thank you for joining me. I do not take it lightly that you would spend these next few minutes with me listening to what I share from my heart. I'm honored that you would allow me to walk this unwanted journey with you in some way. And I always pray that what I share here in this podcast each week brings either some hope or a measure of healing or even better, a bit of both hope and healing. Today, I want to talk about our child's things, their clothes, their furniture, their favorite toys or mementos. Am I crazy because it's been several years and I still haven't changed their room? Am I wrong to be so devastated that I had to pack up their room and get rid of a bunch of their things because maybe it's because we're moving? This is an area that does not seem to make sense to those around us, especially if we have left their room the same or have things of theirs left out to be able to see and touch or even smell them. Now, before I go any further, this is going to be an episode that is going to touch our heartstrings. There's going to be a lot of emotion with this. And so if you don't have some tissues nearby or you're not in a place where you feel like you can cry, just put this on pause, either come back to it later, grab some tissues, but I just want to let you know ahead of time that, you know, talking about our children's things, that is something that is very dear to us. And so I just want to give you a heads up that there may be some tears here as you listen. I'm going to start out here by sharing what I've heard from several of you perievers on this subject. I thought it might be helpful to hear how kind of all over the place it really is with us. My friend Kathy lost her son, and she had family that was coming to stay with her. And I think it was something already pre-planned or, you know, one of those family reunion things. I can't remember what the situation was, but it was one of those things where they were going to stay in her son's room. And it could have been where it was like, this happens all the time. You know, relatives come in, you kick your kids out of their room, they stay in, in your child's room and your child goes somewhere else. So anyway, she knew that family was going to be staying in her son's room. And the thing was, you know, that situation where your child goes and sleeps somewhere else is no big deal. But when your child isn't here anymore, that's just weird, right? Uh, Wrong. It just something's not right about that. So anyway, she ended up packing up her son's room. And I don't, I think she may have even gotten new furniture. I remember she painted the room. I mean, she just totally made it a guest room and took all of her son's things out And I know that sounds like it might be, that just sounds horrific to some of you listening. But for her, she said she was glad that she was kind of forced to do that so early because if she hadn't done that, it would probably still be the same, the exact same years later. My friend Sarah lost her only child, Jeanette. 
they were very close as they were a military family. And so they moved around a lot. I know at one point they were in Germany. And so mother and daughter were very close because sometimes they only had each other as they moved around like this. They were both teachers. Jeanette was an adult. And at one point they even taught in the same school and their classrooms were next to each other. So they were, they were pretty close. And Sarah recently wrote, at first, I gave away or sold or donated a lot because there just wasn't space to keep it. Now, all these years later, I'm mostly fine with that. There are a few things I wish I would have kept, but it's okay. Every so often, I donate or toss out a few more things that have lost their significance over time. Now, remember she said lost the significance of those items. <laughs> It's a different than our losing our child losing significance. That's just my own little input in there. But there is also the desire to hold on to what's left as if it's all I have left of her. That's not true at all, of course, because she'll always be with me in my heart and my mind. Last week, I accidentally broke a vase that belonged to her. I sighed, knowing that over time, things will break, and it's just a thing. But I remember exactly when and where and why and how she got that vase. And that's why we hold on to things. I like how she recognizes that. Those things symbolize memories. And those memories, we're just so attached to those now because that's all we have, right? I asked on Facebook a question along this line so that I could hear from a lot of you. And so my question was for those who had children who lived at home when they passed, how long did it take you before you were ready to go through their things? Is the room still the same? Was there something specific that caused you to feel like you had to deal with it? How much did you keep or still have? And the reason I asked it that way for those who have children who lived at home when they died is because for me, Becca was not home. She was married, had her own family. So that is a, a different situation, and that can be really hard. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes, but let's read some of these responses. One mom says, it took me four months. I did an hour once a week because I had to. We were preparing to move. I could not still live there. I currently have two boxes of his favorite things. Another one said, It took me one year, and only because we were preparing to move. I packed little by little. And she says that she and her husband packed up the last of her daughter's things on the last day before they were actually moving. I will mention here that many perivers take pictures of their child's room before packing it up especially like if they had to move and there was they had to pack it up for some reason. A lot of parents will take pictures of it to remember the way it was. Here's another one. She says, it's been two years and everything's the same. I have toys he got while in the hospital underneath a table unopened, not able to let go of them. This one says, it's been six years and our son's room is just the same as it was when he left that evening. I know of at least two moms who turn their child's bedroom into an office, keeping some of those things around them, and they find that a comfort. Here's a mom who lost two daughters when hit by a semi, and she says, I would not encourage anyone to rush this process if they don't have to. Their belongings were or are a gold mine for me 
when I just need to physically sift through their lives. That's precious. And I like that thought that, you know, there are sometimes we just need to touch something. We just need to be surrounded, have things of our child, something tangible to hold on to, to touch, to see. You know, sometimes keeping those things can be such a comfort. It's like a stabbing pain comfort, isn't it? Uh, you just can't explain it unless you've been there, but it, it stabs your heart and yet it's a comfort at the same time. This mom says, I got up the strength on a snowy day in January to put her clothes in boxes. It was hard, but strangely comforting to be surrounded by her things. And I found some things I treasure. But after that, I just can't get the strength to do it again. I don't want to get rid of anything. I'm hopeless with this. It's getting harder to go in that room not easier. Now, this mom was not quite at the two-year mark, and all of this makes so much sense to me because for many of us, the second year is more difficult than the first year. If you're in your first year and you're thinking that's impossible, it might not be the case for you. For me, the second year was harder, and when I started trying to figure out why and how is that even possible, and it's just, I can't explain it. I, I just, I can't explain it, but there are some things that just make that second year harder. And for me, I realized the reason was because I thought, okay, I've been through all of this once, the holidays, the, the special occasions, uh, the one-year anniversary, her birthday, all of those things. So the second year has got to be easier, right? Because I've done all this once. And what I realized was that fog of, you know, just, you're just in such a fog of disbelief that first year. And the second year, that fog had started to lift. So the fog wasn't keeping me in kind of that painful numbness. It was just pain. <laughs> and, you know, like when you get, I just thought of this, like when you go to the dentist, you get the Novocaine and the everything that goes on at the dentist. And, and then the Novocaine starts wearing out and you start feeling the pain. And so I don't be fearful of it. I, I'm just telling you this to tuck this little piece of information in your mind. If there are some things that make the second year harder than the first and you feel like it's getting harder instead of easier, that's normal, if anything. You know, I hate that word normal in our grief, but that's very typical. There's nothing wrong with you. So I wasn't planning on saying all that, so maybe somebody needed to hear that. But I do, you know, she just emphasized what I had said, that strangely hard, but strangely comforting. But then all of a sudden, you just can't do it anymore. My friend Lynn Breeden, who did an entire podcast series with me on the topic of new fears we have after the death of our child, and I can put a link to the beginning, the first episode of that series. I'll put a link to that in the show notes, and then you can find the rest of them and the different fears that we talked about. But anyway, Lynn lost her five-year-old son to a very aggressive cancer. And I asked her how long it took her to go through Joel's things and what that was like, because it's been over 30 years for her. She wrote the following back to me. It was within a few months. 
We were limited in space, and I had two of his brothers, Matt and Mark. Matt was the same size as Joel, so I saved a few things that only Joel wore and set them aside. He shared a room with his big brother, so nothing really changed there. I had all of his keepsakes from birth, cards, baby book, photo albums, all in a large tub, plus all the cards and gifts from when he was in the hospital, and sympathy cards, all in a tub as well. I have gone through these tubs only a couple of times in the 35 years he has been in heaven. It's just too painful. For me, like I said at the beginning, Becca was married, and so it was a different situation for me. That first, I don't know, I, it might have even been before the funeral. I, I don't remember. Things were a blur, but I know really quickly I went through her house. Now, uh, we were very close. Uh, we were always at each other's homes because of her physical situation. Her husband and I were very close. We shared hotel rooms sometimes. He, he really was a son to us, and our lives were very intertwined. So I just felt like I had the freedom to just go through her house, cupboards and drawers, and I just went through the house. And I made a list of the things that I wanted of hers. If he should ever get rid of them, these are the things that I would like to have. Now, there were some things that I did take right away because um, I knew they were things that wouldn't mean much to him at all, but they were things that meant a lot to me, things that maybe I gave her or things that were passed down from our family that I wanted to make sure I kept. So like I said, I made this list and he looked at the list and there were some things he was like, you can have that. No, I'm keeping that. And so I did get a few of her things, but he never got any of those things on that list to me when he got rid of everything. There was one time after he got married that he dropped off four big blue bins on our front porch. And I was glad to get those things. And they were things that they weren't on the list. Some things I wasn't happy to get. They were kind of bizarre. One of the times they had to call an ambulance, they had to cut off her clothes to get her heart started and, and deal with her. And that, that was in the bin. So it was just a hodgepodge of all kinds of stuff. I've said this before, her wedding dress was crumpled in the bottom of one of those bins. I cried for days. I cried for days as I went through them. And some of the bins took a little bit longer to go through and figure out what they were, if I wanted them. It was hard. And I, my first immediate thought was that Becca's life has been reduced to four plastic bins, but I immediately told myself that is not true. That is so not true. But in that emotional state, it was really hard to fight through that. And it was definitely an in-my-face reminder that she was gone. Four years before Becca died, I got a Mini Cooper, and it was a fun car. But I hauled her around everywhere in that thing, especially that last year and a half, two years. And her wheelchair fit in my Mini Cooper, believe it or not. I have so many memories of her and I in that Mini Cooper, including a time when they actually had me pull into an ambulance port to pick her up and take her from our local hospital to Madison University Hospital, which is where she always had to go with her heart issues. And she was 
in there more than she was out that last year and a half because of the VAD, the equipment, the pump that was running her heart. And so there was one time University Hospital needed her to come up. They needed her up there right away, and ambulances would not transport her because of her equipment. Isn't that crazy? They didn't want to be liable if her heart went down with the equipment. I was trained on it, and you know, I would tell them I can ride in the ambulance if there's a malfunction with the equipment. I'm trained on it. I know what to do, but they wouldn't do it. And so there were three times they sent med flight to get her. This time they had me pull my Mini Cooper into the ambulance port and they brought her out into the port, got her in the car, and I drove her up to University Hospital. Obviously, it was not an emergency emergency or they would have sent med flight again, but they did need her there right away. And I have a picture of me pulling into, you know, from my steering wheel, pulling into the ambulance port. But like I said, I had so many memories with Becca in that Mini Cooper. And it was so hard to get rid of that car, not just because it was a fun car, but because it was like Becca, it, it felt like Becca was part of that car. And it was such a, such a connection to her. It felt like I was losing another tangible part of my memories. And like I said, that's all we have now. And so when one of those tangible things goes, it feels like almost like we're losing our child again. We're losing a part of our child and we feel like they're getting further and further away from us. Let me just say here, that was an area that I really struggled in. I could panic and just feel like a, a panic attack, paralyzed, hard to breathe, thinking about getting you know, a year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road from Becca, I just, I, it would just cause these panics and I'd have a hard time breathing. And one time the Lord so graciously spoke to me and he's, he said, you are not getting further away from Becca. Every day you are getting closer and closer to her. And that has helped me a lot. And so I just pass that on to you. I haven't said that for quite a while. I know we feel like we're getting further away and we're afraid we're going to, you know, forget what they sounded like, what their laugh was like, those kinds of things, because we know memories fade. And we, we just, the thought of starting to have the memory of our child fade is just beyond what we can put words to. I know because I have felt the same way. So losing these tangible things, getting rid of them, going through our rooms, it feels like it's going to be a part of the memory of our child fading. And that is a fear that we have that I'm going to forget my child or that others are going to forget my child. That's one of the topics that Lynn and I talk about in those earlier episodes. But, you know, just when those panic feelings start coming in, remind yourself that this is only temporary and you are actually getting closer and closer to being with your child again. And the next time we're together, we won't be separated, right? Isn't that, I just, that brings me comfort in the pain. So anyway, it was really hard to get rid of that car. That's just something for me personally. And I'm sorry if you hear a noise, but my cat is chasing her tail right now. I do tell myself that it's just stuff, but there are so many memories and meanings attached to that stuff. There is one more response to my Facebook question that I want to read to you right now. This mom's son did not live at home, and when his clothes were given to her, she said, I buried my head into each item of clothing searching for him. 
I love how she said it because that is what we're doing. We're searching for our child and we're trying to hold on to them. Our head knows we won't find them, but our heart doesn't want to believe it. It feels so final to go pack up their things. I had someone recently ask me, is it weird that after seven years, I still expect her to walk through the door? I know this person told me that sometimes they'll just curl up in front of the door and cry, still just hoping that she'll come back through the door. And I told him, no, it isn't weird. It is not weird or wrong if their room is still the same or you still have all of their things. It's love. We are all ready to say goodbye at different times and get rid of different things at different times. Like Sarah said, as the years go by, there are things that she's ready to part with that just, you know, don't have as not, as much significance now as they did maybe in the first few years. Some of us feel forced to do so, to get rid of these things before we're ready or pack up their room. Some of us are ready after a few months, like you've heard, and some still are not ready after many years, and that's okay. But one thing I know that we are all ready for, and that is to say hello again. If you have been listening for a while, you know that I end each episode with an acronym for the word HOPE, H-O-P-E, and I like to say, hold on, pain eases. I know the acronym I've always heard is hold on, pain ends, but with our grief, it doesn't end, does it? But it does ease, H-O-P-E, hold on, pain eases. Did you know that you can get a shirt with that on it, the word hope, and then hold on pain eases. We have long and short sleeve tees, wicking t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, all in various colors. So I just wanted to let you know about that in case you want to check it out. Just go to gpshope.org slash store and click on the Hope Merchandise tab. Otherwise, you can just go to gpshope.org, click on the store tab, and it will be there. I'll put a link to the store in the show notes for you. Let's go ahead and go to this week's birthday segment. Frank Sasewski was born on August 22nd and left us at age 34. Evan Subin was born on August 23rd and left us at age 15. Katie Mullen was born on August 24th and left us at age 19. Christina Michelle Lee was born on August 26th and left us at age 26. We celebrate with these families the day these children came into the world. We know it will always be a special day for us. It's impossible to forget that day and not to celebrate the day these children came into the world and into our lives. If you would like to have your son or daughter's birthday announced on this podcast, the week of his or her birthday, all you have to do is go to gpshope.org slash birthdays. There's just a little form to fill out with the information we need and submit that. One of the areas to fill out is the pronunciation of their name so that make sure I say it correctly if it's a name that uh, sometimes doesn't get pronounced 
the right way. I would love to be able to share your child's birthday with the other listeners. Mitch Carmody is a friend of mine, and he's been a guest on this podcast. He and his wife, Barb, lost their son, Kelly, at age nine, following a two-year battle with a recurring malignant brain tumor. A few years ago, they moved from Minnesota to Wisconsin. He is very well known in the parental grief world. He has traveled and spoken for many years, and he's pretty much retired from that now, but you may have heard of him. And I want to read something he wrote. We have kept a trunk of our son's earthly possessions for 30 years following his death. We've sold the farm now after 23 years of enjoying its radiance and healing. We took out some of his clothes from the trunk and a few special mementos, and we burned the rest in his trunk with a prayer of goodbye to the farm and a new chapter in our lives. We burned the steamer trunk with his stuff, lots of stuff, old stuff, kid stuff, condolence cards. The music came on suddenly on my portable bows, and the song on random shuffle that started playing was so appropriate. It was Love Never Dies. Our son, Kelly James Carmody, is with us, always not in his stuff. We continue forward with our son, who remains a present tense in our lives. I like that. Our son is always with us. He's not in his stuff. And yet, it took them 30 years to get rid of everything they had saved from when he passed I don't know about you, but I take great comfort in knowing perievers like Lynn and Mitch, who have both been on this journey for over 30 years, still struggle with things like this. And it's taken them that long, you know, to go through the things that were saved when their child died. It doesn't mean that you will always be in a place of suffocating darkness if you just can't go through their things yet. It doesn't mean that things will never get better. All three of us, Lynn, Mitch, and many others, will tell you that life can have meaning and purpose again. It is a long process, and we still find ourselves in a puddle of tears at times, thinking about how much we miss our children. But it means it's okay to be wherever you are on your journey. And I want to encourage you to give yourself lots of grace Go easy on yourself as, you know, this whole topic of your children's things. Do I go through it? Do I not go through it? Some of it now, some of it later. I have to go through it. I don't have a choice. Wherever you are on this journey, go easy on yourself. And as you do that, remember to hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.